morning, church. And we give God just like a hand clap for that word. That was really good. Good. Great word. And each week, just nuggets of wisdom from scripture as to how we can steward well uh, that which he's given to us and worship well, uh, which is why we intentionally say we're continuing our time of worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings. We are here to worship. Amen. So good to see all of you. My name is Paul, and I'm privileged to serve as pastor of this congregation. It's great to see everybody sitting here. It's great to have those who are live streaming as well. Thank you for choosing to spend an hour of your time with us in worship today. We're grateful for uh, all of the volunteers each week. You embrace the privilege of being inconvenienced, as we like to say, to service unto the Lord, as well as every Victory Group leader who throughout the week you're extending this corporate worship moment by gathering to deepen, if you will, relationships, as well as enrich one another spiritually. So can we give God just a hand clap of praise again for every volunteer and victory group leader and participant uh, who, who you're not thinking it robbery to, to gather uh, weekly to, to see what God might do through you and in you in community. Uh, as has been mentioned, this is an Advent season, and we are here to accentuate what we celebrate all year long, uh, the moment of Christ's birth. And we get to, with excitement, reflect on the anticipation of his coming. And so this entire month, we will be doing just that. Um, and we pray that you'll join us and bring a friend or two to perhaps those who don't know why Christmas ought to be merry. Um, and maybe that's refreshed in all of us, but certainly those who this season can't figure out why it's a merry Christmas. We want to accentuate that moment throughout the month of December. Amen. Turn with us to the book of Isaiah, the book that Daniel, our teenager, led us in this morning. Come on, Daniel. Good job, buddy. We're going to look at that exact chapter, chapter nine. We're going to look at verses one through seven. And as you look that up, Lord, we just look to you with adoration, confession, repentance for the ways that we've fallen short, thanking you in advance for how you forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and certainly with thanksgiving that you give us this opportunity to study the word of God together. Open up our eyes, as it says in Psalm 119 and 18, so that we may see all that is in the law, because unless you open, we can't see, we can't hear what it is you have for us. Speak, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verses uh, 1 through 7. Isaiah is prophesying here. If you will, read it with me. It should be on the screen in the New International Version. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As people exult when dividing plunder, for the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. 
For all the boots of the trampling warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born to us. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. I don't know what version I started reading that in, but I ended with the NIV. I'm sure Zandy had it right on the screen. I study in all the different versions, and I think I put the wrong one up here on my iPad, but it's right in my phone. But it's God's word anyhow. Amen? Amen. I was like, why are they so quiet? I, I know Zandy, he doesn't get much wrong back there, so I know it must be something I'm doing. So I finished in the NIV. Turn to your neighbor and just say, he was born for this. this. Turn to the other neighbor and say, born for what? Our mess, the mess we've created, the messes maybe we didn't create, he was born for this. That's the title of today's message, born for this. The New York Giants, Frankie, my hometown team, I can talk a little bit about them, is a mess. He was born for the messes we create, the traffic on I-64 going through Hampton Roads. Anybody ever go through that tunnel? Thanksgiving, trying to get wherever you go, or New York, New Jersey Turnpike, the mess, the messes we create. The messes we create when we assign assignments that we think are pedagogically appropriate to assess the learning we want to assess, and then all that creativity comes to bear and how creative we got to grade them at the end of the semester, and we think, what mess did we create? (laughs) Because we don't have time to do that. Or the messes that come about because University of Virginia, for example, for years hasn't mentioned or acknowledged the enslaved persons at the university, the messes we create. In the 60s, Vinegar Hill here in the city of Charlottesville, Homes demolished, McIntyre Road built through the middle of a neighborhood, creating a mess. People who owned privately owned separate homes now swap that in place for a unit in a multifamily public housing project that has been neglected pretty much since then. Messes we create. Turn to your neighbor and say, he was born for this. Now the opportunity we get as his hands and feet is to increase our awareness, knowledge, and skills toward those ends such that we know, we're aware of, we're, we're knowledgeable of, and can apply skill that he helps us with applying his hands and his feet. Because while those things might persist, he was born for it. We, though, get the opportunity to apply his hands and his feet. He was, in fact, born for this. And I think the challenge that we oftentimes experience, whether in those scenarios or others, and we could have gone on with the kinds of messes we create, though, in this house, the vision is to see people reconcile to God and each other, specifically thinking of racial reconciliation. So I think about race all the time, not to the neglect of other things, but that is a particular vision of this house. There are other things. The challenge for us is God... I know you came, but can you come here? Can you come to me? 
and the stuff I'm dealing with, the challenges I've experienced in my health, in my family. I can read Isaiah. I get it. The Messiah is coming. Amen. We're going to praise the Lord because he was the wonderful counselor he is. Yes, they needed some deliverance, but can he come? And the challenge you and I often experience is believing that in faith, that he came for and is willing to come to where we live and work today. Here, Isaiah is prophesying to um, a group of folks in the midst of a mess. He's a southern kingdom prophet, and yet he has a heart for the northern kingdom. What do I mean by that? After Solomon's reign, his son Rehoboam, uh, essentially, they didn't want to submit to him, and so they broke off. About 10 tribes went to the north, and two, Benjamin and Judah, went to the south. So Israel kind of retained its name in the north, and then Judah was the southern kingdom. Isaiah, one of the five major prophetic books in the Bible, was more of a southern kingdom prophet. But in this particular text, he's also now speaking to the north, as evidenced by him referencing Naphtali and Dan in one of these first uh, versions, or verses, rather. And he's saying to them, hey, I know it's been bad. The gloom that you've experienced, it's been awful. You've made some decisions that have created a mess for you. The Assyrians are tearing you up. They're oppressing you. But you have no idea what's coming. Prophets in the Bible, they speak the mind of God, not just what's coming in the future, but being a mouthpiece literally for God. And he's saying to them, hey, I know it's been gloomy, but you have no idea what is coming. But there's good news. There's good news because, verse 6, getting ahead of myself a little bit, it says, for us a child is born and to us a son is given. Yes, we serve a just God and there are consequences for all of our actions as they were for the northern kingdom. And 1 John 1 and 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so there are these two kingdoms. Isaiah is primarily to the southern kingdom, but in this space, he's talking as evidence, as mentioned of, 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 of Naphtali and Zebulun. He's also speaking to this northern kingdom as well. And we can read more about the gloom that's referenced in 2 Kings 15. So as my buddy Joseph Williams says, if you're taking notes, write that down. If you're not taking notes, write that down. And you go back and study it a little bit later. But Isaiah is essentially saying he was born for this. How many know the Lord can turn humiliation and gloom into glory? So here Isaiah, he's got this heart also for the northern kingdom, and he's talking to them. Mind you, the northern kingdom, just as a quick parenthetical for some more context, these are the folks who essentially said, you know what? Again, they split off into two different kingdoms. That we're going to establish our own worship practices up here because we don't want anybody drifting to the south. Jerusalem was still down in the southern kingdom where the temple was and so forth. And so we're going to establish all of this craziness, idol worship. I mean, there was a lot of madness going on. And they ignored some really good folks that God sent to them by the way of Elijah. Anybody hear of him? Elisha, some folks who just if you look throughout history, just were incredibly powerful prophets. So a lot had come their way. They ignored. So there's some gloom that they're experiencing and despair and anguish that they would be experiencing that as Isaiah references, except for the good news that Isaiah is bringing to them. He says, you think what you've been through is bad. You have no idea about what is getting ready to rock you. It's going to be harder than anything you've ever thought. He tells them in chapter 
8, if we go back, that they would be completely wiped out by the Assyrian army. And that the Assyrian conquest in many ways would kind of flood over into Judah, but not completely wipe out Judah as, as, as much as it would wipe out the northern kingdom of Israel. Wipe them out in a way that they would essentially seem like they never existed. But verse 1 of our text begins with, with that bit of context and background, nevertheless, also said notwithstanding or but or in spite of, we serve a God who can insert a nevertheless at any moment. And that's what Isaiah is doing here. And if I can, in a parenthetical, say for you, he can do the same for you. Joseph, can I get a witness if not here in Genesis, sold into slavery by his brothers, but in Genesis 50 when they came to him, because now he had risen to power under Pharaoh's house and is controlling all of the plenty that people needed to come and buy, said to his brothers, you intended this for harm. Nevertheless, but God intended it for the saving of many lives, it goes on to say. He can insert a nevertheless. Matthew 6, 39, when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest, what did he say? Being 100% man and 100% human, let this cup pass from me, please. The human side of him said, I don't want to deal with that, that kind of suffering. Who would want to go through with that? But how many are glad that he then said, but not my will, but thy will be done. That's good news that we're not paying the wages we ought to have paid because sin warrants death. But he said, no. Lord, let your will be done. Nevertheless, back to our text, Isaiah is saying, there will be no more gloom. He would be born for this. There will be no more gloom for those in anguish or distress or despair. For he has made glorious the way of the sea. He can take us from gloom to glory. Isaiah prophesies, the people who walked in the darkness have seen a great light. We can stay there for a little while, but just we won't. But I just want to mention the only other time that the word great in this way is mentioned is when you, when you, you see of it in the, uh, the Old Testament, the great light, the sun and the moon, when God put them in the sky. So we're not talking about a little sort of cell phone kind of light thing going on. This is illumination that would show us where we are and what it is that we need. I told you guys about the tree that fell in our home. I think I've told that story a couple of times now. Well, when I got out of the car that night on Halloween night and the tree was down and I pulled up in front of, not in front of our house, our neighbor's home, I did very much get out of the car with this little cell phone light. No power, no lights. I was kind of like the guy in, uh, I don't have time for too many digressions, but y'all see Harlem Nights, anybody? If you haven't seen Harlem Nights, uh, there's a scene, Lord help me, um, we don't have, we have like 10 minutes, but there's a scene in Harlem Nights, and that is what's reminding me of uh, Arsenio Hall, he's with two of these other guys, he's running after Eddie Murphy because Eddie Murphy had done something to him, and Eddie Murphy's in the house, and, and they're shooting up this house, abandoned house, and Arsenio Hall has a machine gun, and the guy next to him has a machine gun, and they're like, you know, the, the clips are in, they got plenty of bullets, and they do that, but then when they rest, the third guy that's with Arsenio Hall shoots his little pistol, and so Arsenio Hall shoots again. <laughs> Finally, Arsenio Hall said, man, put that darn thing away and stop shooting that little gun. That's how I felt with my light. All right, y'all bear with me. I got out the car. All my neighbors are coming in. Put that thing away, man. No, I don't help you out here. Oh, small light. It says great light. Not a cell phone flashlight. Great light could displace 
that darkness. But if you've lived just a little bit, you've probably experienced some of the disappointment from unmet expectations that we all have had with the cell phone lights in our lives, right? Like this job's going to make it. It's going to show me the way, isn't it? Certainly a bigger bank account, my investment stock's doing well. It's going to show me how to get to where I need to go. All of us, if we've lived long enough, we've experienced some disappointment. God's got the great light. Can I just preempt the point? He's the great light that we all need in this day and this time, period. He is the security that we seek, known or not, in these other cell phone lights. Verse 4 says, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, which is referencing Gideon and Judges chapter 6 through 8. Again, another note to take. It's a cool story to read if you haven't read it. And if you haven't, the Cliff Notes version is Gideon basically is called by God to go and defeat the Midianites who were jacking them up and oppressing them and tearing them apart. So he said, um, pardon me, when he was called, said it about two times. And God says, I've called you with the strength I've given you, go forth. And if you know the story, he kind of cut his army down for however many thousand to 300. But here's what was really interesting. The Midianites literally were tearing them up and Gideon, upon the Lord's command, was able to overtake them without doing anything but blowing a trumpet and breaking some jars. Come on, when God is with you, there's no striving that needs to be done. Work, yes. Striving, no. Did nothing but break some guard. So when they're talking about as in the day of Midian's defeat, they're referencing Gideon's victory in the book of Judges when he was called to overtake them. Verse 4 goes on to say, You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. You've destroyed them to such a degree that, that we, don't even, we don't even know that there was a yoke on them. We can pause there for a moment because I know, because I'm in a room full of a bunch of human beings like me who have been through some stuff. Anybody thankful you don't smell like the hell you've been through? God will take the yoke of whatever bondage that you've been oppressed and shatter it. The word there really in the Hebrew is pulverized. Completely dismantled, not just separate in half or patch it up. No, it's done. Can't even tell what you've been through. I'm glad that I don't look the same, sound the same, walk the same, smell the same because of Jesus Christ. Isaiah is predicting here then that God is going to destroy the Assyrian army and their oppressive yoke, which if you look some chapters later, chapter 37 or so, we can read that that in fact happened. How and why did all of that come to be and would it come to be? Verse 6 gives us the way. For your investment savviness will come to your rescue. Your seminary degree will save you. Your pedigree will bring you from darkness to light. Your athletic talent will destroy every yoke. No says nothing of the sort. But again, if you've lived long enough, you know that we all fall prey to being tempted by and even succumbing to the disappointment of those expectations. It says, though, for to us, a child is born and to us, a son is given. We'll get into this in ensuing weeks, but just like he prophesied out of this gloom some 700 years prior to Christ's birth, When Christ came, he also then would come amidst some gloom and some violence and some chaos. Again, reinforcing the point that he can come to wherever you are, no matter how bad or gloomy you think that it might be. 
But here's the child that's born, 100% human. But then a son is given, which in some ways that could be considered what's called a parallelism in that you're saying the same thing two different ways. But I'd venture to say that there's a little bit more happening here in that they're referencing the nuance that's, that's, that's reflected in what's called the hypostatic union, right? 100% human, child is born through a virgin birth. He had to be, feel, look like us to know what we feel and go through. And yet a son is given. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. 100% human, 100% God. I can't wrap my brain around that and I don't want to. And if I did, I probably need to run somewhere because then that would mean God ain't God. And we can't ever wrap our brain fully around who he is. And I love that, which doesn't mean we do away with intellectual endeavors by any stretch. We use it to the degree that he allows us to steward it for his glory. But when it runs out, we say, I don't know, but my hands are lifted to a God who I am so glad is bigger than anything that I could ever figure out. Amen. hundred percent God, hundred percent human. A child is born, a son is given, and he was born for this, for me, for you, the chaos we'd have to live through. Some we created gave some examples earlier, and some maybe we have not. This is the Merry Christmas. This is the Merry Christmas. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will have all authority. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, Isaiah, we'll close over the next five or so minutes. Throughout the book of Isaiah, he had to kind of piece together the real impact of Jesus' coming, right? You and I can interpret the Messiah's coming as he's coming to save us from our sins, right? They weren't quite there yet. They were thinking more in the monarchy, kingship sort of sense. This king is going to come save us from the Assyrians, our present circumstance. That's what they were getting in this moment. And later on, you see in Isaiah in the 50s or so, he talks about the servant that would have to suffer. And they're like, wait a second. How is somebody who's going to suffer and die come and save us? That didn't, it just didn't compute to them. And so in his best sermon prep, he's piecing together for them, scaffolding, if you will, the process of all that was meant by the coming of Jesus Christ. He tries to capture then some of what is embodied in the name of Jesus by giving some of those names to us here. Now, I grew up in a storefront church. Some of y'all know this already. And I learned and gained so much from that experience. The word was preached in ways that struck me in 1992, particularly that I met him, encountered him, and have never left him. Mistakes made, absolutely, but the Holy Spirit conscious has been there. So grateful, so grateful. And my friends and I will often chuckle. There's a slippery slope of mockery down which you can go that we don't. But we chuckle at times of the other storefront churches we'd go to, Crystal, where we couldn't even fit the whole name on the, on, the, on the awning. Holy Spirit, sanctified, son of God, man of God. He's a king of kings, apostolic, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, and Baptist, incorporated church of God in Christ today and now and forevermore. Amen. Right? I look back on that and receive many a word in all of those spaces, but I thought, man, trying to capture all of, in that case, what the church embodied and who he is in a name. That's why Jesus just says, I am. 
But he gives us a little bit more here. It says, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. It's nothing like the wonder of Jesus. You can open the book of all of our lives and probably just say, oh, oh, wonderful. And that could be by itself. And in some Hebrew texts, it is just by itself. He's wonderful and a counselor. And then in some spaces, you see it together. So he's a wonderful counselor. How many know there's no wisdom greater than that which we would find here in the word of God, which is why the best advice I've ever received from Pastor Brett, who you've heard speak here, and I will give it to you as well and myself every day is to read your Bible every day to know the counsel of God such that we don't then trust in our own understandings as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us. Psalm 1 goes on to say this way, you are blessed when you avoid the counsel of the ungodly, but blessed when you meditate on my law day and night. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Elevation Music says it this way, he's never lost a battle and he never will. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I'll close with a couple of references here. The disciples on the boat in Mark 4 with Jesus. You remember that story? Jesus says, hey, we're going to the other side. They're in the boat. Skilled fishermen. Skilled fishermen. So you would think they probably did some homework on what's to come on these seas. Sea of Galilee is about 10 miles or so wide. They're on the sea and winds and waves come like they can't control or they can't even manage. Skilled fishermen, which kind of says to you, sometimes things come out of nowhere in life. But they're in the boat with Jesus. And these winds and these waves come. And the disciples go to Jesus and they say, hey, don't you care? We're all going to drown. I'm sure none of us have ever said that. God, don't you care what's going on here? Don't you care about the oppression? Don't you care about this death at such a young age? Don't you care? Don't you care, Jesus? Jesus gets up. What's he do? Shh. Peace. Peace. Winds and the waves stop. It's the reason why James Hall could write that song years ago that black voices at UVA used to sing every year. What manner of man is this that even the winds obey? What manner of man, I got the words wrong. What manner of man is this that even the seas obey, the great one? For he's created the heavens and the earth. Some of us this morning, and I'll close on this point, are wet. I don't know what you're wet with. Disciples are getting a little wet. They are probably bailing water out that boat. I have no idea, but I know if you're living on earth, you're wet with something final admonishment when we think about with excitement the anticipation of Jesus have coming is to go get in go get in the cushion with Jesus and go to sleep it's to go rest how many of us can can actually say with some degree of confidence when those moments come I don't go down and accuse them I go and I rest with them because you are the Messiah yes and you are the reason for which my gloom will turn to glory. You are the reason why after years, Isaiah is telling them of, of, of idolatry and the Assyrian oppression, Assyria, that was the, 
God tried to send Jonah to Syria. You remember that, Nineveh? And he says, I'm out. I'm not going there. Kill him. God had turned these folks over to them. But he's saying, now I'm coming and you will destroy them. Whatever gloom is in your life today, the good news of the gospel, the birth of Jesus Christ is for all of humanity to have the opportunity to then be restored back to Jesus Christ. That is good news. And so over these next four weeks, we are going to accentuate as we talk about the birth more specifically of Jesus Christ and what he came into and what it means for us so that we can worship well and we can understand in a deeper sense and bring those who don't understand at all why Christmas is merry to begin with. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this season, this time of acknowledging what over 2,000 years ago was prophesied by Isaiah, 700 years before your birth, that which your birth would represent. Not just for those in the northern kingdom, though specifically he was talking to them, but also, God, what that would mean for all of humanity, for us, even today. I pray that afresh, those who know you and have have, have embraced your coming into our heart, that we would increase our faith in such a way that we could see you coming to the things that plague us today. That you want to come to our marriage too. That you want to come to the illness too. You want to come to the workplace too. You want to come where we are right now in the situations that might feel like a similar oppression. Maybe it's not an army. Maybe it's Freddie Mac, <laughs> Sally Mae that you want to come for us today to save, deliver, set free from the yoke of bondage under which we may have lived for generations. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, this particular invitation is for those who have yet to embrace the coming of Jesus Christ, that he was born, then allows you to be born again in him. So if you are here and want to accept Jesus as your Lord, raise your hand really high so we can see. Father, we thank you for everyone in this room. For everyone who experiences a gloom, experiences on some level a situation that seems out of reach, a situation, God, that, that maybe we can't see beyond the humiliating effects of it. And without a show of hands, Lord, I know that they are all of us really who can embrace your coming to us in those spaces. And so I pray today that the great light that you referenced, the joy and rejoicing that you said those Israelites would experience, that we with great anticipation of your coming today would also rejoice, would also celebrate your coming. And may God in this season of our celebrating your birth. Reflect afresh on what that means for us, not just in earthly circumstances, but what that does in fact mean for our salvation, our freedom from the penalty of sin, our freedom even further from the power of sin, and someday when you return from the presence of sin. We thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. Uh,